Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. I hope you enjoyed our summer programming. I brought you Accent of Women Snapshots, a CD compilation of 19 stories recorded in 2011, documenting the stories of migrant and refugee women coming to Australia. This week on Accent of Women, we're still looking at the issue of refugees in Australia, but from a campaign and advocacy perspective this time. The Refugee Council of Australia is organising an ongoing film festival. They screen particular films in particular states across the country in an effort to shift public opinion about who refugees are and how they are created. The Refugee Council of Australia's core aim is to promote the development of humane, lawful and constructive policies towards refugees and asylum seekers by Australian and other governments and their communities. To discuss this work and the film festival, I spoke with Laura Stacey, the Council's Media and Campaigns Officer. We're the national peak body for the refugee sector, so as part of that we lobby the government to bring about um, more progressive policies related to refugees and people seeking asylum. Um, And we consult with our member organisations and individuals um, in order to do so. Uh, One of the biggest things that we do every year is that we do a huge um, annual consultation where we speak to hundreds of people around the country um, from refugee background or uh, people who work with people from refugee background and just find out what's their experience of um, refugee policy in practice in Australia. What um, good or harm is that doing and, you know, what do they want to see changed? And then we use that information to feed our work for the rest of the year. So we write policy papers um, and we build campaigns off the back of that work. Um, And one thing that we make sure that we do in every single aspect of our work, both staff, volunteers and all the projects that we run, um, we do so alongside people from refugee backgrounds. Islamophobia will surely be a massive part of the Council's agenda uh, and the direction that not just Australia, but I guess the global context as well is moving, the, the direction that the world is moving in on Islamophobia must be very, very challenging for your work. Yeah, it, it is absolutely challenging. But, you know, the Refugee Council and the rest of the... and refugee communities and the rest of the organisations working on similar issues in Australia, we're not strangers to a hostile policy environment because, of course... The Australian government, not just this one, but previous ones for many, many years now, um, have been quite worrying um, and very difficult um, and created a very difficult environment for us to work in. Um, and it's been an uphill struggle for a long time. So, of course, what's happening globally is hugely worrying. Um, but at the same time, we're sort of used to um, having an uphill struggle on our hands, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that difficult policy environment, Peter Dutton has recently announced the potential deportation of young criminal migrants. No doubt many of these young people are going to be from refugee backgrounds. What is the response of the Refugee Council to a proposal like that? I mean, we would always advocate that people should be treated fairly. So just because they're from a migrant background or from a refugee background, they should be treated equally um, both before the law and just in general Um, and there is a 
tendency towards a kind of very reactionary um, politics of fear that's coming out of our current government. Um, and this plays into that. And everything that we do is, is about trying to sort of tackle that um, rhetoric, really. Can you tell me a little bit about the campaigns and what strategies you do use, given we've looked at how difficult the political environment is for the kinds of ideas you're trying to share? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of our campaigns that I'm working on at the moment is called Education for All, um, and that's about working with universities, uh, state governments, the federal government, um, and, of course, people in refugee communities to remove obstacles to further education for people from refugee backgrounds and people seeking asylum. Um, and so some of the things that we do are we advocate directly to universities, to vice chancellors, for example. Um, we advocate to the state governments um, and we advocate to the federal government. And we've actually had some great wins on that. We've had a lot of universities offering scholarships. Um, and we're not just doing this on our own. We're doing it together with a number of other organisations who are working towards the same goals. So. Um, that's been a good campaign so far. There's still a long way to go, but certainly on the university level, we've had a lot of wins, um, and on the state government level as well. We've had some good announcements from various states. Um, so that's been working quite well. Um, and what we'd really like to do in that campaign is to bring in a direct advocacy model where people from refugee backgrounds who want to go to university are having one-on-one -on -one meetings. Well, one-on-one, -on -one, as it were, we would probably go along as support, but they meet directly with the vice-chancellors from the universities to tell them about, you know, how this issue is affecting their lives because if a person is faced with another human being who's in distress or who needs help, it's very difficult to actually turn that down. It's much easier to sort of um, make refusals when you don't know about the people, you don't know the people personally that you're talking about, but when you actually meet them, it can be quite a powerful game-changer. Um, and then the other campaign that we're doing at the moment, well, the other main campaign, we end up doing quite a few in response to various kind of political events unfolding. But the other big campaign that we're working on is about family reunion. So that's because um, for the last few years when we've done our annual consultations, people from refugee backgrounds have said to us every single year, um, the main concern for us is that our families are still back in our home countries. Um, they're not safe and we can't bring them over. It's very, very difficult to bring them over. Um, and so at the moment we're raising awareness about that because it's an issue that is a huge problem for people in refugee communities, but not necessarily one that people outside of those communities are aware of. Um, so we've been asking people to host picnics in support of refugee family reunion. So that's more a kind of community organising type model, um, which has been going well so far. Um, but in terms of policy change, that's going to be a very difficult um, challenge once we come to actually kind of advocating directly to politicians and trying to get them to change policy um, progressively. Do you think that um, politicians are mostly informed by or reacting to general public opinion about um, people's views of refugees and, and Muslim refugees particularly, given the climate of terror and terrorism? Or do you think this is directed by pol uh, politicians, the sentiment in the community is directed by politicians? Oh, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? It's sort of the chicken and the egg type scenario. What's, what's certain is that there's definitely a vicious cycle going on here. So there's a kind of politics of fear that's being peddled by politicians and the media to some extent, and that politicians are then also taking advantage of um, 
with very sort of populist style campaigns that we've seen recently. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a politics of fear, you know. So I think politicians see people who are struggling, um, who maybe can't get their kids into school or can't get a medical appointment or haven't been able to get a job, um, and they point the finger at migrants and people from refugee backgrounds, which is, you know, I, personally I would say that when those services are stretched, it's because they're not receiving funding or they're having their funding cut. But it's very easy for people to take advantage of that kind of misfortune of others and the fear of others and to say to them, this is because of these new people that have come to our country. I mean, that's certainly what happens in my country. I'm from the UK originally. Um, and that's certainly kind of what happened around the Brexit argument. And the Brexit um, debate, um, was it was a lot of scapegoating going on there. Um, yeah, and I think in Australia, you know, the Australian government knows that whenever they talk about the boats, for example, they're going to get a bump in public opinion um, because they've made it sound as though stopping the boats is a humanitarian progressive policy that saves lives um, when we know that actually that's not the case. They might be stopping boats from arriving in Australia, but they're not stopping them from leaving because when people have to flee, then they have to flee. Um, and they've done so at the huge cost of locking people up and torturing and, and lots of people have lost their lives on offshore detention. So I guess it's a, it's a very complicated scenario. I think people are frightened and, and that other people are taking advantage of that fear for political purposes. There are two spaces of public policy um, I want to look at with you before we um, talk about one of the main pieces of publicity work that the council is doing, and that's the film festival. But the two mm. the two areas of public policy that I want to look at is one the issue of offshore detention. You mentioned you know people being tortured um, or fleeing torture, but also being held and dying in offshore detention situations. Um, and yeah. the, the the first thing is how I mean, what is available to the council in relation to a, a campaign or a response or an approach to that area? And then the second one, particularly as mm. you've talked about family reunification, is the humanitarian catastrophe in Syria and those Syrians fleeing that country and having literally nowhere to go. And I know for myself, my community is a Middle Eastern, I'm Egyptian, but we have a lot of Syrians in our community that are very, very worried about their families and can't can't even find them to make an application. Yeah. Not that that's ever going to get accepted given the situation. So, those, so yeah. those are the two areas I'm interested to hear about in relation to the the council's approach. Yeah. So, um, with your first question, offshore detention. I mean, it's something that you know takes up a lot of our time thinking about how we can challenge this sort of bipartisan consent um, on offshore detention, consensus, sorry, not consent, um, on offshore detention. And one thing that's been great over the last couple of years is that we've seen various different actors in the sector working together on this. So last year saw the Let Them Stay movement, um, which was a bit of a game changer, I think, um, in the refugee campaign space in that, you know, it, it really got people's hearts and minds. The general Australian public came behind it in a way that they hadn't before. Um, and so we would definitely see the sort of key to moving forward on this issue is for all the different actors who are part of the refugee movement to sort of combine forces and work together um, in tackling this and finding a solution because 
it's it's a really difficult challenge that we're up against, given that both parties are supporting it, and that there are politicians who've staked their careers on this um, policy. Um, so yeah, that would probably be my response. You know, we work together on let them stay, and we work together on bring them here. Um, a lot of that was led by Get Up um, and the Australian Refugee Task Churches Refugee Task Force, um, along with a couple of other actors. Um, we sort of followed their lead and. Um, and, and work together with that on them. So I would say that's probably our best strategy for tackling that one. Um, strength in numbers um, and sort of working to a flotilla model where different people are playing to their own, different organisations are playing to their own strengths, but we're all working towards the same goal. Um, and with the with the sort of Syrian refugee crisis, yeah, I mean, it's a really difficult one. At the moment, it doesn't seem that many... Um, wealthy countries recognize the connection between their foreign policy and the number of refugees that are produced by a certain country. Um, so it's it's a big one. I mean, we saw a little bit of movement on that um, the year before last when the extra Syrian and Iraqi refugee intake was announced. Um, but I think there just needs to be more of that. You know, a one-off commitment in response to a kind of public outcry is just not enough um, and there definitely needs to be more done to talking about countries of origin and how I mean it's a huge question isn't it but how things could be improved in countries of origin to stop people from having to ever leave their countries because contrary to public opinion well popular opinion I should say um, most people don't want to leave their homes you know any more than you or I would want to suddenly have to leave our social professional um, networks um, and suddenly be in a country where we don't speak the language, you know, we don't have those supports and we might not even have our families with us. So, um, yeah, I mean, that would be the ideal. If people were able to stay safely in their countries of origin, then everyone's a winner, really. Well, that raises an interesting um, argument or, or even question, which is uh, how much international work does the council do in i mean firstly refugees is a global problem there's no question about yeah. that um mm. but how much work is there in whether it's um advocating for workers rights or economic freedoms or mm. just general um social justice issues feminist issues yeah. uh, how much of that should be a part of the refugee movement yeah i mean as an organization the refugee council does do a lot on um international policy issues so for example we go every year to the united nations in geneva um where the ngos come together and and give feedback to the un um and also work together in creating solutions um and when we do that we always take people from refugee backgrounds as well um, to make sure that their voices are heard um we also are involved with the apron which is the asia pacific refugee rights network which is about finding sort of regional solutions and recognizing that some people are going to be in transit forever, as it were. You know, lots of people are in sort of refugee camps in Indonesia, Malaysia, um, and further afield sort of in Jordan, Lebanon as well. Um, getting those people work rights, as you say, um, recognizing that, you know, less than 1% of the 65 million internationally displaced people um will be resettled every year. So there needs to be solutions for those for the remaining 99 point something percent that aren't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it has to be 
it has to be global our vision and that goes for the whole of the refugee movement not just the refugee council because these things don't happen in isolation And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Accent of Women. I'm speaking with Laura Stacey, the Media and Campaigns Officer for the Refugee Council of Australia. We're discussing the current political environment for refugees in Australia and the advocacy campaigns currently undertaken by the Refugee Council as Australia's peak body for refugee organisations. Well, let's look at the upcoming film festival because this is one of the projects you've got uh, on your plate at the moment and I'm, I'm assuming that part of the intention is to broaden people's understanding of the reality of the plight of refugees. But tell me from the Council's point of view, what, what are the objectives with the film festival? How did the idea come about and what's coming up? Yeah, so... Um the idea came around because during Refugee Week, which we coordinate every year, during um, Refugee Week 2016, um, we put out a call for people to host um, screenings of a film called Freedom Stories in their own communities. And we just had this huge response. We had over 200 um, different people or organisations coming forward and hosting screenings. So we realised that there's a huge appetite for this because, you know, who doesn't like going to see a film? Everybody enjoys that. It's an enjoyable thing to do. It's not kind of sitting down and reading a, you know, dry policy paper. Um, it's it's something that's fun that you can take friends and family to. Um, and I guess what we wanted to tell particularly and what we've been doing with the um, selection so far is to choose films that show the journeys of people from refugee backgrounds once they've arrived in Australia. So recognising that those journeys don't end um, upon arrival. Um, that really for, for a lot of people that's kind of the start of a whole new journey because you then have to learn a new language, settle into a new country, build your networks, um, find your community or build a new community or whatever it might be. Um, and so, yeah, we wanted to tell that other side of the story. Um, and we also think that film is actually quite a powerful advocacy tool because, as I said, it's something that most people enjoy doing, going to the cinema, um, regardless of their political background. So it's a good way for us to reach out to people who aren't necessarily engaged in this issue or perhaps even haven't made up their mind or, or might even be opposed to um, the sort of policies that we'd like to see. Um, and it allows them to kind of make that human connection with the people that they see in the film um, and therefore, you know, become advocates or, or just develop a better understanding of, of what the human face is of these people that we hear talked about in the media. But, you know, to understand what an individual or a family's journey is, is is quite a powerful thing for changing hearts and minds. How do you manage actually changing hearts and minds versus preaching to the converted, especially with a thing like a film festival? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something that keeps me awake at night, really. <laughs> that's that's basically what my job is, is, is trying to make sure that we're not just speaking to people who are already on board. So... Um, the way that I've started to do that is um, we've been putting the films on in quite mainstream cinemas. So we started off at the Acme, um, which is, you know, right in the middle of Federation Square. Um, and those tickets are open to the general public. And that was sort of a condition 
that we insisted upon. Um, because normally with these things, you can either hire the cinema and sell tickets privately or you can sell them together with the cinema. So one thing that's really important to me is that the general public can just walk in, see what films are on and buy a ticket and come along um, without without necessarily kind of thinking, oh, goodness, I don't really want to see a film about refugee issues or I'm not really sure about that or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's one thing. Another thing is kind of advertising in... We advertise on Facebook, for example, and we don't um, do that based on people's political opinion. We, we do that based on um, their geographical location um, in proximity to the cinema so that people will see these adverts and, and come along. Um, and also, as I said earlier, you know, just the fact of it being a film is, um, is an important thing, I think, because it's something that everybody more or less is open to seeing. And then, again, not to ask you all the hard questions today, but I am really fascinated, especially with campaign work. And I guess my next question is, how do you measure success? So if the objective is um, preaching to the not converted, how do you know that actually your audience is made up of people that are either sitting on the the fence or relatively mainstreamed, even if they're left-leaning, or actually the, the film made a difference in their view and outlook on the refugee issue? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's a number of ways in which you can do that. Um, you can look at sort of where the tickets are selling through, for example, um, and in for certain certain sort of um, ideas about who those people might be based on where they're buying their tickets from. Or, um, But what I would say is a really good way of doing that is just to do surveys at the film. So we've been handing out surveys and asking people to fill them out Um and tell us, you know, what did you think of the film? What was your view on these things before? What's your view now? Um, that sort of thing. But, I mean, it's just, it's it's a huge um, priority for us doing this film festival to make sure that it does kind of get out there um, beyond the echo chamber, as it were. Well, this pro- this program is being produced at 3CR and it's transmitting it on community radio. And 3CR yeah. is the echo chamber, but the show is broadcast <laughs> nationally and the national audience isn't necessarily the echo chamber. So yeah, great. <laughs> so if any of them wanted mm-hmm. to get to um, this the, the film festival, can you tell us what's coming up? But also, if anybody out there listens to this interview and would like to screen one of your films and participate in this project with you, how can they also get involved? Yeah, so I would say um, sort of follow us on Twitter and Facebook. That would be my first um, suggestion. So both of those were Oz Refugee Counts, which is O-Z, Refugee, and then C-O-U-N-C. Um, so that's yeah, Twitter and Facebook. Um, the other thing they can do is head to our website. Um, and if they go to refugeecouncil.org.au slash refugee-film-festival, um, there's, a, there's a, a form there that they can fill out to stay informed about what's happening um, with the events. But, you know, if they want to get more deeply involved than that, they can always just give us a call and have a chat to us. I mean, we're totally open to new ideas. We, we love hearing what people want. Um, and, yeah, absolutely would love to hear people's feedback or, or get people involved if that's what they want. That was Laura Stacey, the Media and Campaigns Officer for the Refugee Council of Australia. If you want to know more about how you can contribute to the film festival or how you can become more involved in the refugee campaign here in Australia, 
get in touch with the council and they'll connect you with people, groups and organisations in your state. The council's number is 02-9211-9333 in Sydney and in Melbourne the number is 03-9600-3302 or go to their website allthews.refugeecouncil.org.au And that's all we have time for on today's program of Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au and that's the digit 3 not spelled out in letters. Go to the Accent of Women page and follow the links to this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.